You have one new voicemail message. Message received today at 12.01pm. Kia ora, Unpack. Um, I don't think there's shame within our community in the way that we came together to support each other. Um, rather, there's a little bit more shame around the way that the rebuild process has been handled. It's been quite commercial and it hasn't really been focused on our communities more at that grassroots level, just more focused on the money. Um, we've still got people who are suffering living in houses that should have been fixed a really long time ago, even though it's been years and years. Um, I think that the rebuild has been viewed on the world stage, so lots of people from overseas have watched the way it's been handled, which is a little bit embarrassing, and people still come to New Zealand to see these buildings that are still in ruin. Um, anyway, give me a call when you're free. Fucking floor to somebody. First article comes from Stuff, published on the day, 4th of September, 2010. Headline says, Earthquake hits the South Island. Tagline, Images from the aftermath of the quake. First comment comes from Zeka. Right, let's pack a few cases of beer, clean underwear, shovels, portable generator, big-ass stereo, wheelbarrows, and head down for the relief effort. From one of our team who was actually in North Canterbury at the time, they wrote a little quote for us to say. There was no power and you had to rely on the radio for your updates and news. Families had to drop off clean water to people in Kaipoi and other suburbs which were badly affected. I remember seeing train tracks damaged and skewed, cracks in houses all around the exterior. Cracks in the road and the concrete Things that are supposed to be stable are now cracking. I'm going to be staying out of the city centre for ages. Jeez. And that's a, that's a quote from one of our actual team members. Yeah, that hurts. That's, that's tough to read out. It's very tough to read out. And it just goes to show about all the things that you rely on in normal day-to-day life. An earthquake can make those things seem just not even structurally sound. Yeah. Zika also goes on to say, you know, they're going to bring, yep, shovels, portable generator, big-ass stereo, for obviously, yep, diving into the Kiwi identity. Yeah. What are cases of beer going to do? Hey, they're just diving further into the Kiwi identity. I know, right? right? They're just, uh, it re- this is really one of the more Kiwi comments we'll probably ever read. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Next comments from Nicola. Felt it in Wellington. The noise woke me. I'm disgusted to hear on the radio that there is looting going on as if emergency services don't have enough to do. Now, the noise is something that you would never forget. It's a triggering sound for all of those who have actually experienced an earthquake. The sound of breaking glass, things falling down, and even the building, like, slowly shifting. Yeah. But the looting, looting is quite interesting, right? Because it's just mass burglary. Mm. Usually when chaos ensues, man-made or nature-made, humans can be expected to act inordinately. If you've ever seen an injustice happen, like a burglary or a fight, you'll know exactly what we mean when we say your brain goes into fight or flight mode. Next comment from Callum. And which idiot is going to say this shows that climate change is real? Look, they're not entirely linked, but the climate can make atmospheric changes that can affect 
tectonic plates. But you know what I love? Mm -hmm. I love the person who, in an argument, a disagreement, even just a debate or whatever, says, oh, and I bet you're about to bring this up. It's like, no, you're the one who brought this up. No one one else did. You're your own worst enemy here, Callum. Nobody else did. We scoured the comments. (laughs) Nobody else did. You were the one to do it. Oh, well. Next comment from Nicole. CBD has just been cordoned off. Roads still cracking and sand substance coming up. Two people seriously injured. So what is the importance of the sand coming up? Well, I mean, other than sand substance is really hard to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sand is a sub-base for concrete being laid. Oh, so underneath the arc. Okay. Underneath yeah. it is sand. And I think it's because, you know, it's really like, I don't think water goes through sand very well. Um I, I'm, Are you confident with that take? I actually am. You, oh, okay, cool. Because the way am. you sit it in studio, you're I, not feeling yeah, confident I know, about right? that take. <laughs> it's also off script. <laughs> I know this because I used to play lawn bowls, and it used to rain in the mornings, but you'd still be able to play because there's sand other than the AstroTurf, so the sand absorbs all of the water. True, and to be fair, in cricket, they do put sand. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I think we you know what? With yeah, both good, of our brains, I, yeah, okay, yeah. Unpack endorses this thought. <laughs> Um, if you see sand coming out of the concrete, though, that's unsettling, right? Yeah. Because, is. like, that's supposed to be under there forever. Yeah. So from the first earthquake, the end count was 100 total injuries, two serious injuries, and sadly two fatalities. And from all the comments that we just read, you can clearly see a state of shock around the country. Next article comes from Stuff, published March 2011. Headline says, Christchurch residents flee. Tagline says, thousands have left quake-damaged Christchurch this weekend, some for a break, but others wanted to be out of the city tomorrow because of the controversial predictions by Moon Man Ken Ring of another big quake. Thoughts? First comment comes from Juliet. I think this is quite positive. All of the senior geologists, seismologists are having a lunch tomorrow at noon in one of Christchurch's oldest buildings. They feel so strongly against the theory that they are willing to put their lives on it. That would reassure me if I lived in Christchurch. Hmm. So did this actually happen? Like the geologists and seismologists going for lunch in one of the oldest buildings? That First of all, if that was publicly announced, that sounds like one of the worst ideas I've ever That's heard. That's wild. This was published on March 19th. And we checked as many records from the Economics Resilience Infrastructure Meeting minutes from March 20th, 21st, 22nd. We couldn't find anything. They said all of the senior geologists were having a meeting at noon in Christchurch oldest building. And it's also the type of thing where if they did do it, is it really something that they would you want written down and stuff? Like, no. no. I don't think so. No. Nah. I don't think so. We, however, did find something. Oh. We found something. There was a lunch held. At the sign of the Kiwi, a small cafe close to the epicenter of the earthquake, the lunch was not attended by senior seismologists. What? However, it was organized by the New Zealand Skeptics Organization. We have a New Zealand Skeptics Organization? We have a New Zealand Skeptics Organization. Not only do we have an independent fishing and outdoor magazine that we looked at (laughs) a few episodes ago, we have a Skeptics Organization. There are so many communities and organizations that we just have no idea about. And look, I'm all for keeping government those at power in check and look maybe an organization is the best way for them to do it but that's wild that's wild send us a t-shirt if you're part of that please do we we honestly want to see it we do next comment comes from marie people are alive because they survived an earthquake 
because they were further away from the epicenter, because they weren't in the worst-hit areas, sometimes just through sheer luck of the draw. We heard all of this stuff before. Ever since September, in fact. Ken Ring didn't tell us anything solid enough to go on, because absolutely no one can predict an earthquake just yet. It may happen in the future, who knows. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion, and everyone who lives in Christchurch and Canterbury, who has been through two horrendous big ones and 5,000 aftershocks, is prepared. Being calm and ready, having torches, water, batteries, gas, canned food, a meeting place, these are the prepared things. Not everyone can or wants to leave. I used to get so angry, but now I accept that our lives are different. We need to be as prepared as we can be and get on with it. It's living through it that makes you more prepared. Not kin ring. Not being scared and running around like a headless choke. Been there, done that. Not helpful. We'll get through it. Smiley face. Whew, that is... Oh my God. That was a lot. Holy. There, there was a lot there. A real like stream of consciousness from Marie yeah. just kind of going off in so many different ways. But yeah, no, it was... That was a lot. It's, it reads like a diary entry. It, it truly does. Yeah. And I want to, for everybody that doesn't see it, and we're not making fun of Marie's grammar at all, there are no full stops. There's only ellipses, which are the three, ado- three dots. Which really makes it more of just, I'm just going to write and figure out the rest of the end. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, at a time like this, you can understand why. Yeah. So knowing how worried Marie is, this is a major sentiment for all of these people, not just in Canterbury, but in South Island. Yeah. The largest part of Marie's fear comes from the fact that you can't prepare enough for earthquakes or natural disasters. There's only so much you can do, right? Mm. She mentions Ken Ring, who we hear his name again, who was part of the lunch by the New Zealand Skippers Organization. Mm. And we want to focus on two things that Ken said. So this is from September 7th, 2010, one whole year before the earthquake. The morning of 20 March 2011 sees the South Island again in a big earthquake risk for all the same reasons. This date is the closest fly past the moon does in all of 2011. The node arrives on the 20th at 9.44 a.m. As that date coincides with lunar equinox, this will probably be an east-slash-west fault line event this time, and therefore should be more confined to a narrower band of latitude. The only east-slash-west fault lines in New Zealand are in Marlborough and North Canterbury. All factors should come together for a moon shot straight through the center of the Earth and targeting New Zealand. This time will be just before noon. It could be another one for the history books. Ken Ring, September 7th, 2010. So there was a prediction a year out yeah. about the fact there'll be a big earthquake. Yeah, in, in, in March. And I just want to say that anybody who's quoting and then says lunar equinox, you have me. <laughs> You've got me. You use me. that type of language? Oh, yeah, okay. I'm with I have no idea what you mean, my brother, but I am <laughs> listening. Second quote from Ken Ring, which is not as long. Ken Ring this time tweeted, hey, welcome to 21st century, Ken. <laughs> Potential earthquake time for the planet between 15th and 25th, especially 18th for Christchurch, plus or minus about three days. And as we know, a deadly 6.3 magnitude aftershock struck Christchurch on the 22nd of February. So at this point in time for this article, Ken Ring was the moon man and had caused mad hysteria. Yeah. In the New Zealand media. And that actually made probably Marie worried. Yeah. <clears throat> you you got to do the next two comments because I've talked a lot. Yeah, you're right. 
Next comments from Blair. Excuse me while I put my life on hold because some crackpot said so. Sheesh. Have another hit from the bongkin. Oh my gosh. Mellow out and stop scaremongering. People will believe anything when they're scared. Just ask the American public after the Twin Towers fiasco. Okay, Ooh. that's... No, 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 no. We don't like that. No, 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 no. Nope. I mean, look, Blair is clearly angry, throwing insults at Ken. And you can... Look, you can understand why. It's right. a traumatic time for everybody. And Blair is kind of positioning Ken Ring as someone who's trying to profit off of that. Okay. He's trying yeah. to take advantage of the fact that people are emotions are high, they're mm -hmm. looking for something to believe in, and Ken is trying to kind of fill that position there. Got you. Look, whether or not someone's prediction is right or wrong, people can find solace in just living in the unknown. I mean, do you just ever refuse to check the weather forecast? Like, just before going on holiday, mm. you don't want to check it because you just don't want to know. You don't want to be upset that it's meant to rain the entire time. You'll take it as it comes. This Definitely. is, there's comfort in that. Definitely. Next comments from Michelle. Hey, how about instead of giving Ring all the attention here, guys, why don't we focus on helping each other with hints on how to stay safe and prepared in an earthquake? Whether he is right or wrong, New Zealand is an unstable place to live in. Reference earthquakes. And one is bound to happen sometime or another. This is like giving a naughty kid attention and he succeeds in just what he wanted to do. Scaring half of us off and pissing off the other half. CC. Yeah, and it's like, if Ken makes 10 predictions and two of them come true, does that mean you're going to put complete stock in what Ken says? Because people are going to ignore the eight times when Ken's wrong. It's just like, oh, okay, got it wrong, whatever. But mm. when Ken is right, there's going to be hysterics. And kind of just like this comment. But right. it kind of speaks to how this is very real for so many people. I think I'm pretty confident in saying that this comment section has been one of the most emotional mm. comment sections we've possibly ever read. Like, people were questioning whether New Zealand was a safe place to live. Yeah. Or even that the construction was done properly. And to think of all of the topics that we've looked at in the past, this is the first time where we've seen that comment. Absolutely. And I mean, the two of us having moved here, like we can speak to the fact that our parents were like, oh, New Zealand's a safe place to raise yeah. children. So this really goes at not only the local context understanding, but the international perspective of the country. Now, whether Ken was right or wrong about the next quakes, and by the way, Ken wasn't, Michelle is just trying to say that we should be as prepared as we possibly can, so we can ensure that everybody's safe, regardless of the actual airtime mm. that Ken gets. Perfectly put, Tabby. And I mean, Michelle also does the impact work for us, gives us a little metaphor that goes such a long way, similar to the whole, a boy cries wolf. And we'll continue right after this ad break. Unpack can't exist without you. For two plus years, Kai and I have recorded in his flat, my mum's office, my mum's old flat, and my dungeon-like friend's flat. Honestly, anywhere. We love what we do, but it isn't consistent or sustainable without the support of our patrons. For a few dollars a month, you can gain access to this. It's the idea that in getting married, the bride-to-be is shackling him and stealing him from the quote-unquote lads. Trapping him in a life of Thursday night missionary, Friday night book club, and Saturday brunch with the mother-in-law. This... So the people need to know. Okay. They listen to Love Letters Part 1. Whoa. They need to know. So what happened with you two? Wow. <laughs> like, what happened to you two? Yo, why are you just dropping me in on this? So you sent, the, you dropped the letter off, yeah. right? 
uh-huh. you were talking during the day or whatever uh-huh. they receive the love letter yes I presume they read it who knows correct what happens next okay first of all and this bonus content I'm leaving the world a better place than it was before so uh-huh. what does legacy actually mean to you in that context mum always told me not answer a question with a question but before I answer that I do, <laughs> I do I do have to ask you a question is also like what like if, if you were just going to open a dictionary right now or like one sentence to define legacy what do you think like what do you think like the, the master definition is love legacy with those funds we've been able to launch Coalesce our storytelling company at Coalesce on Instagram and PhD Unpacked where we make long drawn out academic research more accessible and more consumable for y'all at PhD Unpacked on Instagram but hold on pump the brakes you don't have any spare dollars with the cost of living crisis hey lass I got you Tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend, tell a friend. Sharing Unpack with a friend always has been and always will be the best way to support a pod. Share our content on social media, tell your auntie about it, listen to it at night with your significant other. Actually, that might be kind of weird if talking about whataboutisms and confirmation biases doesn't get you going like it does to me. But look, I gotta get back to my day job. (laughs) Um, Enjoy the rest of the episode. Next article comes from Stuff. Published January 2015. Headline says, Christchurch's red zone becomes a ghetto. Tagline says, Inside the war zone of Christchurch. First comments from Bridget. The focus is not on the $600. It's the fact the Canterbury Earthquake Recovery Authority, the Christchurch Police, and the Christchurch City Council has left the red zone a barren wasteland. What did they expect? Also, damn right to Diane's comment. Now, please bear in mind, we're, we're in the time where there's no reply threads yet in on Facebook. So, like, yeah. whoever Diane is, Bridget is also saying damn right to their comment. Yeah. So the $600 Bridget is referring to is from the article where a lady noticed a man trying to break into her house with a key and got away with $600 in the car. Damn. Now, while this paints a perfect representation of what the red zone looked like at that time... Many of the comments went to the other extreme. Oh, I'm not going to like this. With, why did you have $600 in your car? Oh, not the victim blaming. Oh, it just it's just too easy. It's none of your damn business why I got oh. $600 in my car. That's what. We got to focus on who took my $600. Exactly. That's what. Oh, my gosh. Why don't you have $600 in your car? Broke. broke? <laughs> <laughs> Next comment comes from Lindsay. The red zone issue was horribly mishandled. Though that is not to say that it was ever going to be easy and there are people still in terrible situations. Firstly, the nominally elected figure of GB2007 did not reflect the real value of property, which is why many people could not afford homes afterwards, notwithstanding the price boom, which exacerbated the situation further. All right, you're going to need to explain GB2007 because that sounds like the name of a new car. Sounds like a sounds like a version of FIFA, huh? Isn't it fine? Like, <laughs> hey, the safety precautions in the GV two thousand. That's not. I'd buy yeah, that. Yeah, she pushed me up in the new GV two thousand seven. I would buy that crazy. car. You, I would. you would have to. Sadly, it's not a car. It means government value of property. Um, um, not as fun. The most likely selling price at the date of valuation. That is what GV is. So Lindsay is saying that this wasn't done correctly in two thousand seven, and that house values were actually meant to be way cheaper. But now with the price boom, houses are inaffordable, but also means the insurance rates are equally as high. Let's continue the comment, though. They got more to say. 
Secondly, there was no need for deadlines to be imposed for red zone residents to vacate their homes and fend for themselves. Their insurance only carrying them so far, the stress of imposing deadlines simply added to the trauma of the situation. Yeah, this kind of rough. When you're dealing with the aftermath of an earthquake, they're being told you have to leave by this yeah. point in time. That's tough. And like, we don't know what the rationale was behind setting the deadline, but it's still tough when you're trying to put people first, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and Lindsay's saying here, right, that like even though the Crown had offered to purchase 8,000 properties in the red zone, people still weren't ready to leave their homes. Yeah. Now, if you couple that with the first point that Lindsay made, people were not only moving from the red zone, their loved homes, but they were finding it hard to find an affordable place somewhere else in Christchurch. Yeah, that would have been a horrible situation for absolutely. anybody involved. The last part of the comments is, thirdly, this story gets it absolutely right as far as my personal experience is concerned. Having had the absolute pleasure of living in Red Zone for a couple years with two nearby arsons and multiple burglary attempts, ended up reducing the problem by makeshift alarms and sensors for anyone outside of the house. With no neighbors, they could go off when anybody even got close to the property. I should add the extra security by the second year was greatly appreciated and also lengthy presence of demolition people were also very welcome. As for the absolute fixation on the $600 evident in the threads, vigilance was necessary, but people do make mistakes. A laptop left in the car, perhaps. I don't know, but clearly there should be a full investigation to satiate reader interest. Nonetheless, the term war zone is quite applicable to anyone still besieged in the area or even more sadly, those on its borders. That is, so that is the totality of one comment that Lindsay wrote down. Mm. Honestly, applause. Applause, Absolutely yeah. Absolutely applause. I don't think we could have given more of a, a recognized applause. That Absolutely. Is. And it really does speak to just the value of the internet. Like we can get an understanding of the day-to-day experiences of somebody who actually went through this. Mm. Absolutely. Like, as you said, this is why we love the internet. And this is also why we love this podcast. Yeah. Next comments from Keith. Big culture of excess in the departments responsible for care. The one time I went to Sierra head office in Christchurch, they were setting up for a taxpayer-funded catered lunch. If I go to work, I pack my own lunch. These departments do these every week. Sierra also spent hundreds of thousands for staff motivational classes. Who do they think they are? So I'm imagining Keith rocking up to Sarah and just seeing them getting out, you know, the classic, the sausage rolls, the little baked goods, and having a sign out front saying, this is the taxpayer-funded <laughs> catered lunch. Come all, come far, come whoever you are. This is on the taxpayer. Like, Shout I don't think that's the case. It was probably like a morning tea or something. Yeah. And Keith was like, Ugh. And like, look, if you want to get into it, look, a lot of people who work in the public sector, their wages are paid from the taxpayer. But that doesn't mean that it's like a taxpayer funded case. Like, I just, yeah. I, I'm not really sure Keith, is, yeah, I don't yeah. know about this one, boss. I don't, I don't know, know about that, Keith. When public servants get paid, they don't get their paycheck and say, hey, this pay was given to you by taxpayer Keith. <laughs> well done. No. However, this kind of claim on this kind of article will absolutely be believed, you know? Easily believed. In the article, the main story is that sir, in the article, the main story is that security patrols cost Sierra $450,000. Keith found this little bit of information, saw an opening to muck up the details on a few stories, and there we go. Look, 
the story is always more exciting than the truth. Mm. Next comment from Julia. It's not the council's fault that the houses were graffitied and stuff gets dumped on empty lots. It's people acting like wild animals with no respect for anyone. Agree. Attention needs to be brought into the red zones so they could be cleared up, etc. But it's up to the people as to how they behave. Yes, this just speaks to the whole age-old argument, right? Is it the state or is it the citizens? I mean, the state creates the environment that we live in to a certain degree. Now, obviously, this is post an earthquake, so some of that responsibility moves off the state. Mm -hmm. But are we just going to sit here and kind of blame individuals for this? Well, I feel like the citizens obviously grow up in the state, right? So whatever they do to it, they're either angry at it or they just don't hold it to such high regard. Yeah. So I think that both sides of this coin really just give to the fact that this was a natural disaster. Yeah. And neither the state or the citizens can prepare for what could happen or what the aftermath will be. The last article is from Stuff. Published February 2020. Headline says... Christchurch, nine years on, the reshaping of a city. Tagline says, nine years on, the reshaping of a city. Nice, with that tagline. Nice. Really good imagination. <laughs> First comments from Susan. Christchurch, the city of fails to the people. We were just commenting on um, innovative thinking. Uh, we've got some bars <laughs> in the chat to uh, Susan for the wordplay on Auckland, you know, city of sales, Christchurch, the city of fails. Wow. Bars. Well done, Susan. I'm, I'm sure you're proud of that one. So many people saw this rebuild as a failure. The fact of the matter is that we can talk about how good or bad a rebuild is, but it's always going to be negative, right? Because it's going to look like nothing you've seen before. Yeah. Now, of course, the rebuild took more than nine years, and many things have happened in the red zone that aren't documented and don't reflect the picture we've been shown, because arguably, New Zealand doesn't really want you to see that. Yeah, and I don't know how you can overall brand something as intricate and as large as a rebuild as a failure or a success. Now, people are going to have bad experiences regardless of whether it's termed as a failure or success, but to kind of brush the entire thing with one stroke is quite difficult. Mm. Next comments from Liam. Of course that is the case. This is why the most logical option was the government to tell everyone to leave and demolish the whole city. I don't know about that one. <laughs> no city ever recovers after a disaster like this. Confidence in the structural integrity of the properties is lost. Those who lived through the earthquakes don't want to return, and too many businesses already moved away to continue their operations elsewhere. Why would you go back? It was said at the time, and it is being repeated now, why are we still pouring so much money into a city that nobody wants to live in? Ooh, wow. There's a lot. There's a lot there, Liam. Um, first of all, making a whole bunch of assumptions. Yeah. And also ending with the fact that we should just demolish a whole city. And, like, when you say demolish an entire city, that's people's stories, that's people's lives, that's people's history, people's experiences. You can't just demolish that and then tell all these people to just, hey, start again. Exactly. Build those community connections. And what kind of picture does that paint on us? You know, like when something goes wrong and it's out of our control, do you think we're just going to put a dome over it? I see what you did there. Yeah. Ah. Hey, listen to the whole season. <laughs> and if we do, are we just going to act like nothing's happened? Like that's not in our QE identity. It's in our DNA to dive deep into our DIY culture and push on with the rebuild. 
And to Liam's point, Christchurch's population has been increasing consistently since 2013. There was, of course, a decrease between the years of 2011 and 2013. Yeah. But we've seen more people move to Christchurch as time has gone on. Next comment comes from Lance. China would have completely rebuilt the city within months. They see a problem and just fix it. In New Zealand, we dither and get bogged down in red tape. Uh, I don't know about that one. Like, yes, we obviously have bureaucracy issues, but a lot of that red tape ensures that nothing bad happens, or at least to try and minimize anything bad happening. Exactly. What's what's it called? Risk assessment, right? 100%. And I mean, I'm not saying that we shouldn't compare ourselves to other countries, Yeah. but comparing yourself to China... You're you're punching above your weight there, my friend. What's there to compare? Like, like how how even could you? Yeah, I mean, like, New Zealand and China are friends. Yes, we do know that. But China is in socialist development whilst operating as a capitalist economy. I am not going to break that down right now. (laughs) I was about about to say, like, hey, let me relax. Let me get comfortable. Guy's about to teach me a lesson. We have no time to do that at all. (laughs) But, But in less words, essentially the difference is that if the state needs something, the state doesn't barter or purchase it for an exorbitant price. If China needed to build a city tomorrow, they would get all the steel that the state has and say, it's going to the city now. <laughs> Absolutely. And we saw it like early into COVID. They yes. were able to build hospitals very, very quickly. Absolutely. But what happens in New Zealand, obviously, is that we run a liberal democracy and a capitalist economy, which means that the government has to contract people 100%. to do it. Next comment comes from Craig. The problem was the government of the day didn't seize the moment and really take control. They let the people of Christchurch down. Many suffered from the stresses of dealing with insurance companies with a mandate to break people's souls. Jerry Brownlee was all talk and no walk. Under the minister's watch, the rebuild and repairs floundered and hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars were squandered, e.g. the repairs and then the re-repairs. The city's rebuild continues today. And all in all, I love what's happening down there, albeit it's painfully slow. Yeah, and I think, as I said before, this is one of the most emotionally charged conversations we've ever read. And speaking of emotionally charged, Jerry Brownlee was positioned as someone who did not do everything they could have or should have done in their power to help the people of Christchurch. Look, it was one of the toughest jobs within the administration and whilst he for his best attempts tried to keep the spirits high a lot of people felt as though regardless of the large numbers being committed to the project he never got on the good side of Cantabrians and never really kept his word and delivered all that he could have absolutely and this this moment in time was harrowing and we look back on it with shock you know even our writers know exactly where they were at the time of the earthquake, and, and those with family prefer not to even talk about it. For some Kiwis, this event was traumatizing. A natural disaster happened, yes, and we couldn't do anything about that, but we let private insurance companies make promises they couldn't keep. We couldn't keep people safe and secure in the red zone. We couldn't even rebuild it in the speed and shape we promised. But worst of all, New Zealand tried to keep so much of this out of the public eye because it's not something that we wanted to remember.
one new voicemail message. Message received. Five May at six p.m. Yo, what's up, Unpack? I couldn't get through, so I thought I'd just leave a message. Uh, well, I don't think they would be ashamed. I think if you ask your average New Zealander, should Māori have, air quotes, special rights on the ocean? I think that was. <laughs>